When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to our podcast. Do you want me to start? You were going to go a different direction. I watched an interesting video. We talked a lot about the rise of China. This one was called China's Reckoning. Uh, And as an American, I was like, yes, we're not going to fall behind. (laughs) I knew it. Thanks, YouTube guy. But it was was very interesting. He talks about, you've seen the uh, population pyramids, where they they take the age of the person on the y-axis and i guess the x-axis is just the amount of people that they have basically and it looks like a pyramid ideally what china has because of the one child policy is a big fat bump right in the working age and if you break down the ages of people into cohorts you basically have babies zero productivity terrible for the economy (laughs) don't contribute at all then you have the students that are typically borrowers they're in you know investing in the future but they're not contributing you have the workers that is really like 30 to 50 is where people hit their peak productivity, at least according to GDP. And then you have your retirees, which is they're just spending all that they've saved and probably drawing from social services and social security. Uh, and this person argues that, you know, as long as there have been humans and maybe there'll be robots to replace all the work that needs to be done and maybe AI can get in there. China has, no matter what they do, a really, really hard reckoning coming because they are not replacing their kids. Their birth rate is somewhere between 1.1 replacement rate and a 1.6. You need 2.1 to just replace the parents that have each kid. And it's because of the one-child policy, which has become the one-child culture, is the bigger thing. Like, as you remove the policy, the culture doesn't snap to change. So basically, this guy argues that they're just not going to have enough workers. They're going to have all of these old people. They don't have a ton of people who want to uh, immigrate to China. It's just, it's not a very desirable place to immigrate to. And uh, we're going to be okay in America. <laughs> not we're going to be okay. It's just that it's not their century, which is, which is what all of the uh, Ray Dalio I, I think China bulls are saying. This is, this is the tough part. We've talked about this before in other domains. No one knows the future. And so everyone's making predictions and someone will be right. Yeah. And that person will look like a genius. Yeah. Everyone will give them too much credit and listen to them on the next thing they predict, which they'll probably get wrong. Yeah. So there's a couple of China predictions. One is population. Two is Ray Dalio's whole thing about how it's the turning of an empire and China's going to be the new world superpower. Another one that I heard from a friend who's very intelligent and successful in business is that because of the way China's economy is set up, they actually uh, are mostly a supplier rather than an importer. And they don't have the national demand for their own national supply, which is to say that if they were to try to be independent, their GDP would plummet because they don't have the internal demand. They don't have consumption. That was another piece and of this And so video. there's a, you know, Trump put this forward and maybe Biden will continue it, maybe not. There's a uh, nationalist movement 
within places like the United States to go more, let's get our own oil, let's make our own supply, let's stop relying so much on other countries. And that could really hurt China. Mm. And my takeaway is none of you, you all sound smart. Yeah. I have no idea how to vet which one of you three is correct. One of you is going to claim that you're a genius when you're right. And the other two will never bring this up again yeah. once you're wrong. So, And there could be a giant war that could throw everything off or a pandemic or anything like that. Just It, it is interesting, like culturally, just when watching these videos, how different home ownership is like the rage in China. So you've heard of these ghost cities. Mm -hmm. uh, what's crazy, according to this video, which may or may not be true, they didn't just build cities. People bought those apartments in these empty cities in many cases because home ownership in China is seen as the safe way to store money mm. because there's all this downward pressure on the, what is it, the, the RNB and the stock market is not very trustworthy in China. So people, when they get a little bit of money, they buy a house and then they buy a second house and then they buy a third house. Nice. So there's, they, people have three houses. It's like no one is ever going to to live here full well, time. Well, that's the thing. So some people in the U.S. have three houses, but then they have renters. Yeah. But China has, I don't know if they still do, they used to have these ghost towns where people people didn't live there yet, but yeah. they were building for the future. Mm -hmm. But that means you might own three homes, but not have any renters because mm -hmm. no one has moved there yet. And you're just hoping that someone will eventually want to move into yes. the city that doesn't exist. And they do have a, a large uh, rural population that could ostensibly or, or presumably fill those houses, but it would take... Things would have to change mm -hmm. in order for that to get these. So that was interesting. But it was also just the idea, because we've talked a lot, what freaks me out is that America right now culturally loves debt. We love mm -hmm. like- And printing money. And printing money, which is just debt, which is, which is saying I'd rather sacrifice tomorrow mm -hmm. because I don't want to today. Um, and I'll see if I can tell you a, a nameless story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone that we both kind of, uh, kind of know- uh, who was hit pretty hard by the pandemic. Their business suffered large losses. They didn't have a lot of money in the bank in order to absorb it, so they used PPP to get through it. This person then went to Vegas very recently, took a small five-figure sum of money, 10K, and uh, made $300,000. Gambling. Gambling. Wow. Is now, I'll give you a couple options, going to put that money in the bank and save it for the next pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Or continue gambling in Vegas. <laughs> what about pay off their PPP? Is that an option? No, no. I mean, like, and, to the, and here's here's the sad thing is that to the degree they will pay to the degree that they are legally mandated to. Right. Um, but unfortunately, the lesson I think I'm not saying that PPP shouldn't have happened, but with the airlines, for instance, like or the banks, is when you bail people out and you teach them that uh, you get privatized upside, which is to say if you make any money on your super risky bets, you get to keep it all. But if you lose money, we're going to collectively absorb the downside. A rational, selfish actor is just going to keep gambling. Yeah. <laughs> like, Wait, so sorry, just to be clear, is this guy going to try to become a professional gambler now? He no, 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 no. This is not versus, uh, this isn't the people that you play against other people. This person plays against the casino, which is to say, this is a ridiculous streak. Like the, this is, I don't know the exact game, but it's like blackjack or. No, that's what I'm saying. So, they're, so they turn 10 grand into 300 grand. And now they think they're going to just keep beating the house? Oh, no, no, no. They, 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 this probably puts them about even over the span of their life <laughs> with, oh. with Vegas, you know, or, or, or maybe up over the span of their life. But this is someone who has gambled for, likes to go to Vegas and gamble. Hmm. Um, but anyway, the, the idea being that our relationship with debt is, one, culturally messed up and then exacerbated by the fact that when 
there is a pandemic. We treat it as like, no one could have seen any sort of economic shock coming. Why would we ever have had money in the bank for times like this? Yeah, yeah. Um, unlike, you know, the generation several before, like my grandpa who died, he was a middle-class guy, had 10 kids and died with over a million dollars in the bank because he rubbed nickels together his whole life after growing up in the Great in the Depression, Depression yeah. <laughs> which I'm not saying is, is ideal either. But in any event, I've, I've been saddened, frustrated by this kind of mentality around debt in America. But what this video pointed out is that there's different kinds of debt. And he doesn't say it explicitly, but one way to invest in the future is to have and raise a healthy child. And you and I, I didn't realize this, like while we are frugal with our money, we are going into debt by not having kids. Well, I'm, you know, frugal with my money and my semen as well. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm saying like you, your decisions for the future, you're not going into financial debt. Mm -hmm. Like you are going to make tomorrow better than today financially, but your decision to not have a child on a personal and collective level, it represents going into debt because what you're saying is I'm not going invest to invest in this child today who could take care of me later. I'm going to rely on someone else to do that so that I can give them my dollars and they will take care of me when I'm a geriatric because I won't have any kids who, who right. want to do that for me. And it's just interesting to think that the United States financially is not the only country going into debt. China has a large, a huge debt, which yeah. is the fact that they haven't invested in literally creating babies. Just to be clear, though, I got to have a kid at 50, yeah. which means right when I hit geriatric <laughs> is when that kid will be 18. He's going to be so ready. So I can spend work. zero through 50 having fun, accumulating wealth, sure. doing whatever I want, have a kid at 50. And then right when I need someone to push my wheelchair, yeah. I have an 18-year-old. That's true. You could you could do that. And our gambling, our, our gambler could take all that money and throw it in the bank all of a sudden. <laughs> like these things can happen. But anyway, it was just interesting. And actually, uh, it did make me realize that whole, you know, people uh, trade off the future in different ways. And not that we or anyone owes it to the collective to be a total contributor, but choosing not to have a child is a selfish act because you're saying I'm going to outsource the baby making to someone else. Now, hopefully they want to do it. And it's not like they're not just an economic investment in our future. But I thought that that was interesting. I think that's probably truer in China and the Chinese culture than mm -hmm. it is in the U.S. Because in the U.S., we, I believe... We're not at replacement. We're not at replacement? No. So really? this is So here's, and here's what makes the U.S. interesting and maybe ties into the other stuff. We're at like 1.6 in the U.S., but we have immigrants. And weirdly, we demonize them, <laughs> which is like, if you look at what an immigrant is, if a, if a demographic expert looks at an immigrant, they're ideal, which is to say, babies just cost money to like get someone enough food and get them literate sure. or get them anything is uh, thousands of dollars and 18 years at least to get them to a point where they can even start to contribute to the rest of us. So when someone who is 20 years old, hungry to work, comes to America, that is essentially externalizing the costs of whatever education they received and all of the food that they received and all of the government caretaking to a different country and then benefiting in their productive years, which is incredible, especially if like the US, you're a country that is not hitting replacement rate with your own birth rate. So like- I'm honestly shocked by that. I wanna know how they get that data because I don't know anyone who isn't having kids. You need to have 2.1. I mean, I know you, and you're at... But I'm not dead. That's the thing. Are they sure, going to count sure. me as not... That, so you see, that, no, I would no, say no, that's no, but bad it's a, it's, it's so a, like, it's I have not a just friend you. who's married mm -hmm. and has one kid, and they plan to have two kids. 
or three kids, but right now they only have one kid. So does the demographic information look at those people and go, oh, this is bad? Because they're going to have three It doesn't or four say kids. bad. It just says how many kids they have. And then it, there's a rolling basis. And when they're 40, it'll have, say, four or three or whatever. And there's someone right now who was 40 who had none at 20 who says four. So I think, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe the economists are really dumb. But they seem to have calculated that you need a replacement rate of 2.1. And the way that they calculate it is they add up all the babies. And we're not there as, as a nation. We are beneath replacement rate. Yeah, it might be true. It doesn't, true of a lot doesn't of match countries. with any of my anecdotal experience, but maybe I just know baby really? making people. Well, yeah, every almost every friend I know is married and on their way to having kids, but doesn't have them yet. So if you just took a snapshot, you'd go, the entire generation of 30 year olds yeah. is not having kids, but really they're all pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all, they all got married in their late 20s and they're all having kids now in their early 30s and they will all have more than two kids. Sure. So maybe for a couple of years, maybe we're a generation that pushes it back five years and our replacement rate is 1.6 for five years and then jumps to 2.5. There's still going to be a five-year hiccup, you know what I mean, in, in any event. But uh, I believe this is a trend in Western countries, which is as people get more affluent, control over the reproductive cycle, condoms and all that stuff, and can family plan. But most of the country is not affluent. Uh, we're relatively very affluent compared to like, I'm talking like places that where you don't have access to birth control at all. Um, and there's plenty of places where people behave like they don't have access to birth control. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm just saying like most, <laughs> most of the country is not sure. in the 1%. That's only 1%. Yeah. And then you look at the 99%. There's also a ton of people who are, they have a whole bunch of kids and yep. they don't use condoms or birth control at all. Yep. So yeah, it's, I'm just surprised that when you map all that together. Can you look it up? Uh, can you look at Justin just to get the exact number? If no, I, I trust you. It's just surprising. Well, it's not me. I didn't do the. I didn't run the numbers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know what it'd be like. Baby replacement rate or uh, fertility rate? I think it's called. It's one point seven three births per woman, but in twenty eighteen. Yeah. yeah, and it's and I see it sort of trending downward over. What is that period? Uh, so. What does per woman mean, though? Just per person like, over 18? I guess for every existing woman. They've been running these numbers for a long time. I think it's not like the first, this isn't the first year that they did this. I think they've caught the obvious oversights. What is that? So what? It, can you just tell me when that downward slope is? Yeah, it's in the, through the 60s. Through the 60s and then it levels off. Yeah. Um, birth control, baby. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's birth control right there. That is incredible. Because if you're looking at the graph, it literally is just like, boop. this is how many babies we want to have. So in any event, yeah, China doing that. Slightly related is that in terms of debt, we now have a new tax plan from Biden. Is it official? No, and it's it's a lot of slogans. So all of these things before we talk about it, just recognize like the the devils in the details, how these are actually implemented could be very different from the sloganeering around it. But we can talk about the general ideas recognizing that this might not actually be what's going to happen in the United States. Yeah, sure. Because the ideas are interesting. I, I'm just, I've seen so many things where it's like, oh yeah, he's going to yeah. do this. So I, until it passes, I'm just assuming this is all noise. Okay, so the first one is cap gains at uh, the highest level of marginal income. Is there any reason that that shouldn't always be the case? Capital this, this gains? One, so cap gains, uh, for those of you who don't know briefly, is when you sell an asset, long-term cap gains, that you have held for over a, a year. So if you sell a business that you've created or you have stocks and you sell them years later or if you have bonds and you sell them years later, the profit that you would make on that is taxed typically in the U.S. at a lower rate Mm -hmm. than money than if you were just working that year. That to me has always been strange 
and I don't understand it. Is there any justification? Oh, I'm sure there's justification. That you find compelling, personally? I've never looked. I mean, I'm, what would my guess? My guess would be it's because there's risk on the capital. So it's not... There's you risk on you can't lose time it. as well, right? No, but we don't. not in the way that people think about it. Got it. So the, the, the steel man is to say that if you wanted to... Um, if you want to encourage people to take the savings that they have and put it back into investments, that you need to give them a sweeter return because otherwise they'll just spend it on consumption or something like that. I don't know. You just have to. You just have to compensate people for their risk. Now, the return of the investment should compensate them for their risk. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Well, just it's Google like, it. I mean, rather than be idiots, why don't we just look up why our capital gains lower than? Income well, that's tax? that's what I've heard in the past. Is is and is is that. The justification for a lower tax rate on capital gains relative to ordinary income is threefold. It is not indexed for inflation, it is a double tax, and it encourages present consumption over future consumption. What's Do you want me to go into the details? The double tax, I don't understand. I understand the It was already taxed as income. It was taxed as income. It was already taxed as income. So I I got I worked a job. Mm-hmm. I'm a I work in a steel mill. You make a hundred dollars. I get paid and I give the government thirty percent of my money. Then I decide that I want to invest the money into something. Yeah. And then when I make money, sorry, when I lose money on it, the government doesn't help me at all. I lose 100% of my money. But when I gain money on my investment, I don't get 100% of the money I make. I have to give more of it to the government. They've already taken some of it before. So it's the same argument but with it's like not a that, death that's, tax. That's new money. That, that to me is a silly argument. And I'm not, I know that I'm not arguing with you, but like it's new money. You're not taxed on, if you, if you get, and it may, yeah, you're only taxed can, on profits. Perhaps we can index it for inflation. I can see that that argument is reasonable. You know what I mean? Let's 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 index cap gains for inflation. Okay, uh, but it's new money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not double tax. That's brand new money. I guess the I think the the big thing is that so okay the first one I think that's a reasonable critique. You should index cap gains for inflation. Second one I think that's a silly argument. And what's the third one? Uh, if you tax it too much, then people, people will just consume instead of investing. Yeah, got it. And you want you what you want is people investing in the you future. Want people, you don't want yeah. people just I feel using like all their money for consumption. I would well I guess I guess that one would be a practical thing that I that I'd have to see the results of. My sense is when I think of cap gains, and I know that there's a lot of pensioners that have it, but people put money into the market so that their money works for them. And if you do have losses, those offset gains, it's not like you're taxed on every individual gain. You're taxed on net gains and net profit. It seems strange that people, if you tax them at the same rate, like that's like saying that people won't continue to work if you tax them at. That's what 39%. people do say. That's just not the case. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I agree, but that is that you're talking about the exact argument that people do yeah. make, which is if you raise taxes too much, people will just stop working. It's like no, they don't. Well, the one thing that is true, actually, I think if you if you just had a rule, because I've seen people say like, oh, no one should be a billionaire. It's like you can have that rule, but oh, people, if you took it all away, yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. will just get. Amazon will grow until Jeff Bezos' stock is worth a billion dollars. Then he'll sell it to someone else. Mm-hmm. And you just got to hope that person's as good at running it as Jeff Bezos or else you won't have Amazon. Yeah. If so, anyone has ever ordered something on Amazon, you get a worse user experience because of that. Yeah, there is a number and it's certainly uh, 100%. If you tax everything that someone gains, you say, okay, after a billion, you're not going to make more. That person has zero incentive to work more. But if you have, you know, if they tax 39% or 37%, you have 60% of the incentive that you would have. I don't know. I still work. People still work. Yeah, I've never seen anyone. Bucket. So far, I've never seen anyone stop work working. less because of 
their tax rate. And I don't think you'd see people with significant amounts of money invest less. Now, maybe maybe the middle class would invest less. I'm not sure. But certainly all the wealthy people would continue to. In any event, it always seems strange. And you, got, you and I have talked about this, that we're, we're suckers for making income. Like Robert Kiyosaki yeah, yeah, yeah. has this chart where he's like, look, here's the suckers on the left. You guys are the ones working and uh, owning businesses. Here's the smart people on the right. They're the investors and the people. Real estate owners. And real estate owners. And they get taxed at this rate and you guys get taxed at this rate. So you and I, for a period, it didn't work. We're just like, man, we're fucking morons. We ran down this path of like, what if we became a real estate company? And we took our profits and plowed them back into housing. Now, if that worked, I would have, but it doesn't doesn't legally work. But the fact that you and I were even wasting time as non-real estate experts looking for ways to, to, it's, it's, Silly <laughs> that that group of people is tax less. Uh, and I think it actually encourages bad behavior just as much as it encourages good behavior. So in any event. Yeah, I don't mind raising the capital gains. Honestly, the thing I most I think I love is- raising the capital gains tax to the same rate as your upper marginal tax rate, assuming that that's the bracket that you're in. I'm just not going to like how they spend it. I agree. <laughs> I think that's probably that's, like I'm going to I'll be all for this, except for I just don't think I'm going to like what you do afterwards. Yeah. Well, the other the other thing is that this won't work. And even though it might be a good idea, as soon as there is a Republican president, which might be in three and a half or it might be in seven, seven and, and a half. half years, it'll be some time in the next everyone years. who has a business or is looking to sell their assets is going to sell them yesterday or when the next Republican president yep. comes along. So what you're going to see is is a reduction in relative cap gains taxes collected except unfortunately from the people who need to liquidate Mm -hmm. from the people who like are planning on retirement and need to sell their stocks in order to get like so we're going to be well i think we've talked about this on on the podcast before but that's one of china's great advantages over the u.s is that you it is really hard to have a hundred year vision for your country when every four to eight years someone else takes the helm and might completely disagree with all the decisions that the last president made and you see it with obama's uh executive orders and then Trump undoes all his executive orders and then Biden comes in and undoes all of Trump's executive orders and we're not really making progress towards a dream yeah whereas China has a plan they have a year in mind and <laughs> they're working towards being number one in that specific year and they've been doing it for a long time and they'll continue to aim at that same target and so yeah this this is one of the downsides of the way our government works is people who want to sell something for 50 million or a hundred million or a billion dollars are smart enough to know to just wait, just wait <laughs> until a Republican president <laughs> yeah. comes in and lowers the capital yeah. gains tax. So these people already, by the way, and I, some of them are my friends, they move out of California and into, into Texas, you know, Logan mm-hmm. Paul moved to Puerto Rico for his fight. Like yeah. they plan easily months and years in advance for giant paydays. Uh, and so you're unfortunately like, while I like the idea of just not having separate, like, oh, your income comes from real estate, you get taxed less. I, to me, it makes sense. If you make this much money, I don't care where it comes from, you're going to be taxed at the upper rate. I, I like that as an idea. It seems like it's just not going to work because there's not going to be consistency of that policy over decades. Yeah, unless you think you that need. no president will ever undo this. Then then it becomes, oh, wow, that, that's, that's going to raise a lot of revenues and like yeah. people just suck it up and deal with it. And there'll have been this like golden age of where you should have sold your company and you feel like a moron. But, you know, for the rest of your natural life, this is, this is the deal. Uh, and so you take it. But I don't think that's going to happen. He's got, there's a lot of other slogans in there and we don't know, but you mentioned things that you don't like that they're spending it on. There might be some stuff, who knows. But one of the things that I know we have talked about that we don't like is two years of free community college to, uh, I think everyone is offered. And again, I, I don't want to go too, but it's 
too deep into this, but it's just the idea that college has a monopoly on education. And the way to provide education for people is by sending them to traditional college Yeah, like why not let people choose if they want to spend that money on Code Academy instead? It's like, I'm going to go to anything. community college. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, can I go? Will you pay me to get an apprenticeship with a mechanic? Yeah. Will you pay me to go to Code Academy? Mm-hmm. Like, can I do that? No, I have to go to a traditional yeah. university to get this? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because then you're going to incentivize people yeah. to go. But that's what they want, to be fair, because that's... What's best for the individual isn't necessarily best for the collective. And so going to a traditional college where you're taught to limit (laughs) what you think is possible and limit your goals and go get a job working at a big company, like that keeps. But even then, if that was your goal, like you'd think the idea of like apprenticeships for electricians and all of these sorts of things would be valuable ways to spend it. I I actually. Well, that's always been, I mean, I've said this before. That's my. The thing I don't like about the idea of student loan forgiveness is that you're going to write a check to a philosophy major for 50 grand and you're going to send nothing to the guy that decided to become a plumber or a mechanic or a carpenter which just seems like a really unfair way to distribute wealth instead of based on current economic situation or yeah what is your goal where it's, they were I, born into or it seems like you're incentivizing people to go hang out on campus is <laughs> like this is what this pays people to do as opposed to because you're to be clear, you seem to be punishing people who go and become plumbers and carpenters and electricians who, and, who educate themselves outside of the university system yeah. is not accounted for so in sum, I would love it if they invested a lot of money in education. I'm disappointed that they view the community college and the university system as the way that they want to do that. And I think that the ROI on that is going to be really weak and, and, and in some cases uh, negative <laughs> because you go in there and it's, it's just continued studentship, which is to say that you show up, you find out what classes you need to take. They tell you what credits. They give you the thing. It's, it's um, what is the word? Accreditation as opposed to education in many cases. And that, you know, speaking as a philosophy major who didn't read some of the biggest philosophers, <laughs> I think that that, that that is a problem. Uh, and certainly it wasn't my philosophy degree, nor was it my business degree. It was life that wound up making me a productive member of society. Definitely, definitely not the time that I spent drinking six days a week in college but it was super fun and if i if i was 18 years old and i was getting two free years of college i would absolutely take them up so if you're an individual and you go for this god bless um and then they also have other things that you and i will just not like which is uh special funding for like historically black colleges like basically you know dividing up the pie based on skin color which we've talked about in the past uh if you want to fund valuable ROI underfunded groups or people or things, please don't do it by skin color. Like please do it uh, based on economic disadvantage or other things that would still capture a lot of, I imagine the color based groups that you would want to capture in there, but would not leave out people that didn't match that demographic and wouldn't include people that are super wealthy um, or colleges even that are super wealthy that, that don't need that funding. Um, So I'm disappointed in that, but it's all sloganing. So who knows? Anything you want to add? I know you probably didn't see it. No. No, I, I mean, one thing, I guess, to, to clarify what you're saying in terms of just help the people that need help, we donate to charity water. I'm sure 90-something yeah. percent of people that that benefits. <laughs> there's, still, there's still a thing going, by the way, if you want to check it out. What is it? Charity Charitywater.org slash charisma. Yeah. yeah. If you want but to throw it, it helps. It helps almost all black people, but it's not because of the color of their skin. <laughs> it's because they don't have access to clean water. And if it happens to help someone who's and if not there's black. there's a village that is all white, we are not going to cut off funding. Or Asian or Latin or anything. Uh, yeah. The point is to help everyone who can't get clean drinking water to get clean drinking water. So that's 
that's the kind of policy I'd like to see from the government as well. Yeah, focus focus on the need, not on the on the color of someone's skin, which which might be correlated, but is not uh, identical to need. Like, just go to need. Yeah, it can even help one hundred percent only one type of looking person. But the point is that that's you start with the need. Mm-hmm. All right, so jumping around, I watched uh, an interesting Coffeezilla video on penny cryptos. Okay. Uh, this is just an interesting psychological thing. Uh, so there's all of these, there's these pump and dumps are going wild, obviously, mm-hmm. right now. All of this, you know, throw your money in, take it out three days later for 100% gain is like every 16-year-old thinks that that's just how the world works. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. they're really, really ripe for for ripping off. But one of the things that he mentions is that people are especially susceptible to coins that are worth less than one cent. Because then you get to say things like, if this goes up to just one penny. Right. If you put in $100 and this goes to one penny, you'll have $200,000. And like people can't understand denominations of money less than a penny. Mm. So they assume that you must be close to a penny. Right, right, right. You know right. what I mean? Like, but really it's point zero 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 zero. So they print like trillions and trillions of these coins. Yeah. Print is not the right word, but they, uh, they mint them. And then people think, oh my gosh, if this goes to a penny, I'll make, it's like, you are so far from a penny, yeah. <laughs> my friend. Uh, and there's, there's no use case for any of these. It's all pump. It's, it's, well, I don't know any of the names of the minor cryptos, but I do have a friend who loves this stuff. He has a TikTok channel about this stuff. And he went online and people kept asking him to pump this one coin. You keep asking and him to pump it. They, it's funny because they're not saying, hey, just, you know, this coin is the future of online currency they're saying i need you to promote this yeah so it'll go up so i can sell it so right there you're like well this is basically just a ponzi scheme but then the second thing is he made a video and he said i'm not i keep getting asked to make this video about this currency i'm not going to promote this currency he says which one it is but he goes because i don't see the use case for it you could say it i think it was safe moon i don't is, even know yeah but but he gets shit on in the comments and then two days later the person that founded it sold all their, it basically did exactly what you're saying, like created a coin, yeah. had it go up, sold for a win and crashed it for everyone else. And yeah, I mean, people are investing very speculatively. Investing is a funny word. It, they're gambling. They don't, the idea that you used to put money into something because you believed in it has gone away. The first Bitcoin investors bought it because they thought it was something that could change the way commerce worked. This was way back, right? 15, 20 years ago, and there was not. Yeah, there wasn't this. Um, it wasn't a. It wasn't a rushing this Tupperware party like uh, MLM sense to it. Like no, you no, had to get it was someone in beneath you. People were saying, well, "I'm going to invest in this. I think it's the future of currency. It could take fifty years to get yeah. there, but I think this is how we're all going to transact." And now that's just not. It's it's very much more this speculative chase to the top and then try to convince other people to buy so that they raise your price up yeah. in a in an effort to profit in a month's time and the initial bitcoin people who became super wealthy found a technology they liked and then invested in it for years and years and years mm-hmm. there was he did another video which is just the extreme version of the pump and dump which is there's these discord pump and dump channels that convince this group that they're going to rip everyone on the outside off and what they're going to do is there's going to be this bot that generates the name, a random name of a coin. And on at that moment, everybody will buy it and then sell it really soon. Really what's happening is that that bot is not randomly generating a name of a coin. The creators of the group have it. And if you chart the thing, you can see like the slow growth of people invest in this no-name coin over weeks and weeks and weeks so as not to set off like volume suspicion. Yep. And then literally 
the dump is the first 60 seconds after the name of the coin goes live, which is to, like, because the promise is that, according to CoffeeZilla at least, that this is going to go, tr- he joined some of these Discord groups, that this is going to trend on Coinbase and all of these outsiders are going to hop yeah. in and there's no way it's trending after 40 seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? The only people getting ripped off are the people in this group trying to rip off outsiders who buy it as soon as it goes live and then, you know, are, are the people selling to them are the people who own the group. Well, I'm very okay with this. Yeah, it's like, look, scammers get scammed. But what's what's crazy is that uh, as I was, I was like, man, I think that most people, if they were allowed into my home and saw a hundred dollars on the counter and knew I wouldn't catch them or know it was them would have a much more difficult time stealing from me. And probably many wouldn't like a lot of these people. I think a lot think, of them would. You think they would? Yeah, I think more than half the people would. Interesting. I feel like it's the layers like of your abstraction. They think that. Well, I don't know how they get there, I guess, but they don't know you, but they know you're not home and they know you don't have cameras. There's a hundred dollar bill on the table. Let's put it this way. Uh, they're friends of a friend of mine. They're taken into my apartment for a party. They don't know me. They don't meet me. My yeah. apartment cannot host a party. For those, it is way yeah, yeah. too small for that. I think that hundred dollar bill so? would be gone. You don't think? My sense is, is that How it was big is the party? Twenty people? Sure. Yeah, it's gone. Really? Yeah. Do you think? Do you think at the same rate that these people try to rip off? Strangers? I don't know, but I think you have a very high integrity friend group. Well, one of the things that I saw, and not that I remember, because I know you're, you were going to say they wouldn't take the dollars. Like they would take, they would take the hundred dollars. I think. Yeah. A lot of people would take the hundred dollars. So, I remember. Um, I think I mentioned this story. We were at Happy Times when I was a kid, and uh, we put a dollar into the coin machine, and it spat out twenty dollars. And my aunts were all like, "Oh my god, yes, keep it." I was like, "But we only gave it." Like I didn't understand. I was like. That's stealing. We gave it a dollar. Like, no, 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 no. It's not stealing. No. And and as far as I know, and I, I I don't think that they have stolen any dollars off of any desks or any company or any embezzlement or anything like that. And I think there's a couple of things. One, it's a large corporation, but there's a layer of abstraction mm-hmm. like that that separates them from I gave a dollar and got twenty. And do you think that that plays in? That's my sense, is that what allows people to do it is the technology that separates them from the people that they're ripping off. Like yeah, I mean, also just the sense that that the people, it's kind of the same reason that the Discord's founders don't feel bad ripping off these scammers, is that these scammers think they're going to hype up a coin and people are going to buy it to try to get rich and then they're going to take their money. It's kind of like everybody's volunteering to try to get rich off of something that they're not contributing to. And so they don't feel guilty hurting everyone else in that pool. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Do you think that these people then would feel guilty if they were going to a trying to if, if there were some sort of a pension no one fund feels that they could guilty rip off? winning poker mm-hmm. no one feels guilty winning poker yeah everybody volunteers to put their money in a pot and have game gamemanship tactics including lying bluffing yeah. to try to separate everyone else for their money and collect all the money and then you win and you go home mm-hmm. and i think that's how people view these so so it's the rules of this they feel like they're entering into a particular game and one of the unspoken rules of the game is get what you can from anyone you can. That's my impression of of speculative penny stock type yeah. Bitcoin or not Bitcoin, but like, yeah, that this this idea of trying to hundred X quick on these things that you don't know anything about. I think everybody views it as a gambling mechanic. I, yeah. And it's okay to beat people in gambling. Interesting. I got sucked into like random YouTube survivor moments. I don't watch survivor. I haven't since the first <laughs> season when I was a kid and, uh, but it is interesting because they, 
whether Survivor is poker or life is not immediately clear to the people playing it. So yeah. in poker, it's like, of course I bluffed you. And nobody's being like, oh, you bluffed me. Like, you were, you were yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bluffed me. But in Survivor, there's like definitely two camps that yeah. people fall into. And one is like outwit, outplay, at last, lie. Like, sure. sorry, but it's, it's your game. time. And another one's like, this is life. Yeah. The way, and they lecture them when at the end of it. And it's, uh, it's just very interesting because it falls into this gray zone and i was like i think i'm the type of person i at my first thought was oh i would be honest but i was like wait a second if i'm playing poker i'm going to lie Mm -hmm. like i'm like we all agreed and sat down that the rules of this game are that i'm supposed to lie or if i'm playing balderdash and my job is to create literally a fake definition for a word that you don't know i'm not gonna write you know balderdash like the idea of longing that one gets when one hasn't visited a city in a while. I'm sorry, this isn't true. (laughs) I made this up and I apologize. Like I would, I would, When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bluffing Sell the poker lie. is the best is the best analogy. No one thinks you're unethical if you bluff in poker. Just interesting that there's this there's uh, these gray zone games in oh. life, and I think for some people, business is that gray zone game where they go, "Oh, this isn't life. This is business." So I'm I'm allowed to rip you off. I'm not saying it's okay. By the way, I'm saying that's the mentality that allows someone. I agree to try to pump and dump a random coin, and so this is they, they think of it. They bucket it as poker. Yeah. And, and they think, don't think of it as stealing. Yes. They think of it as winning. Yeah. And I and I was just realizing that, yeah, there's these there's these games that to me, to me, the business is a not a gray zone game. It, you're like, it's life and you're mm-hmm. supposed to be honest. But to some people, they say things like it's just business, <laughs> which is to seemingly separate it from how they would conduct themselves in other areas of their life. Which of course is never the case because we've met these it's just business people and they cheat on their girlfriends and they. Like, that's a good. That's a point worth reiterating. We don't have to beat it to death, but if you ever see someone who does say stuff like it's just business to justify lying or cheating uh, a supplier out of money or whatever, that person has a very very high likelihood of cheating on their significant other, lying to their friends. Mm-hmm. It, it's we've seen this as we've started this business ten years ago ish. Everybody we've come up with that has that mentality feels that way about every part of their life. Yeah. It's really, uh, I've never in my life actually encountered someone who is dishonest in just one area of their life. Well, I mean, we're all dishonest in poker, right? You know. Yeah, yeah sorry. I'm thinking business, friendships, and relationships. Like everyone I know that lies to business partners, lies to their girlfriend and lies to their friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. But but it is interesting to think that, you know, there are, we do carve out spaces mm-hmm. where it's like, the whole point is to rip each other off. <laughs> like we're going to enter into this game and hopefully the game has a start and an end time and we all get it and it doesn't last more than an hour or two. But 
yeah, where we're going to try to screw each other for, you know. For money. For money. I did always, I will say, and not that I'm I'm a saint, I didn't, I stopped playing poker because I was like, this is just Adam's money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, nothing nothing good happened here. Like, Adam Adam left upset. I made five, and I was usually the loser because I wasn't very good. But uh, it was just weird to, like, revel in the $10 that you took from your good friend. Yeah. And be like, yes. <laughs> now. As someone who mostly won, I can't say that I agree with you at all. I thought it was great. <laughs> Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, I guess I could see it. And again, this is the thing as you as you step outside of your tribe, I could see it more with not knowing the people and feeling competitive with them. But there was just always like a, it's just, he just can't, you know, buy the Dunkin' Donut thing when yeah. we go there now. Well, honestly. Now, now, and that was always what would happen. There'd be these kickbacks. Like, then you'd go out to eat and it'd be like, I'm going to buy your sandwich with your own money. Yeah. <laughs> Our friend group was also not. Not everyone was particularly good at poker, and a lot of people liked the idea of bluffing. So you actually didn't have to bluff. You could just play your cards, and you would win. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> just, go, just fold your bad ones and play your good ones, and you would you would win money. Trash poker players. By the way, we do have a sponsor for this episode. Thank you guys to Kettle and Fire. They make bone broths. I know, Ben, you're a big, you're a big bone broth guy for your micronutrients. Yeah, Why don't yeah. you tell us about it? So I, I drink it every day. Uh, as my diet gets more and more restrictive, it's harder and harder to get <laughs> high-quality protein. And so this is a very easy way to get high quality protein, micronutrients. I'm not a cook by any means. So the fact that it comes, it lasts forever until you open it and then you can just microwave it to cook it. You can get plain bone broth. You can also get ketogenic soups and things of that nature. So it's, it's a big uh, part of my diet and something that I drink almost every day. So mm -hmm. thank you guys for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, and we've had discussions about this. I won't say it every time, but the bones are... Uh, no extra animals are are killed for for these bones. This is something that we've spoken to the founder about. Uh, we've had lengthy discussions about the ethics of this, and uh, feel at least for today, uh, feel feel comfortable promoting this. Even though that I'm someone, I'm a pescatarian, and we've we've talked about uh, avoiding anything that's that's not ethically up to par when it comes to your diet choices. And we feel that this falls safely in the category of okay to do while still being an animal product and getting your protein so if you guys want to check that out it's what is it kettleandfire.com slash charisma mm -hmm. or link in the description so charlie and ben slash charlie and ben <laughs> oh is it charlie and ben i think yeah we'll put the link in the description beneath if you guys want to check it out i had one random thing which is a friend of ours saw a video and got really excited about this company and this isn't a knock on the company i don't know a lot about it it's called saymine.com and it's this idea that they will tell you everywhere that your email is located uh, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> they will help you solve that problem of a lot of companies having your email and they will do it for free. This was an interesting, so this was in a YouTube video and mm -hmm. I, I got excited too. It was a sponsor for a YouTube video and my first thought was like, this is an amazing sponsor because it was for a privacy YouTube video and I was like, this is dope. Mm -hmm. So I started filling out the thing. Yeah, as well. so it's great. It's, it's great and it's meant to help you and it's totally free and it was just another Reminder of something we've talked about before, but if something is actually completely free, you are the product. Mm -hmm. And so that was, I went in, I said, okay, well, how do these people make money if they're not going to ask me for money? And it's because they take your data and they take it from all these other people, but then they have your data and then they make money off of your data and they have access to your email in a way that I wasn't comfortable they with. They have incredible access to your email. Now, I'm not saying that these guys are unethical, but it is it is a moral hazard for sure. They have the ability, you give them the ability to unsubscribe on your behalf, which means you have to give them permissions, according to Gmail, to write emails as you. And I was like, I don't want 
you to have access to the thing that has access to my YouTube channel. Like these people know my address and can send me junk mail. But you can now go behind the scenes and act as me in these regards. That seems like way more of a security threat. Now, to their credit, they say that they are going to move to a paid premium thing at some point after getting some initial growth. They might be great. They might be ethical. Then maybe it's a nonprofit. Maybe they're self-made billionaires and they lose money on this every year in order to help people with their privacy. It was all I'm saying is there's a good chance that that's not the case. (laughs) And if they don't switch to a paid model and something is free, you're the product. Mm -hmm. And so anytime anything sounds like it's too good to be true and it's an amazing free opportunity, you're what they're selling to other people. That was in... uh Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational, that uh, there's just an interesting thing where they, I think it was like Hershey Kisses. And they did two studies, one or two experiments, one where they gave out free kisses and one where they charged a cent for them. And when there were like free Hershey's Kisses, they were able to set up a line that was like 15 minutes long for people who wanted a Hershey's Kiss. And when it was one cent, <laughs> it was no line. You yeah. could come in and get a kiss, which is to say that people valued their time at less than one cent when they were doing that. Now, these were college kids, and maybe their time really was less than one cent because they were just hanging out. But uh, free, something about the word free makes people insane. So one of Dane Ariality's best pieces of advice that I've always tried to take is when you're making decisions, imagine that something costs a dollar and then behave as if. So like, would you spend a dollar to sign up for this thing? And if the answer is yes, it might be worthwhile to you. Mm-hmm. But if the answer is like, no, then why are you inputting your email? <laughs> It's not, don't, don't worry about it. Same thing when you go to clean out your closet. He says like, would you spend a dollar or $3 to keep this piece of clothing? And the answer is no, give it away. Um, that's, that's another separate thing, which is that we, we often underestimate maintenance costs, both actual maintenance costs of like the space that you have to pay for your closet and the mental space that knickknacks take up, which as someone who has sold all of their stuff and moved abroad, it's, it, it, there's, a lot of mental space that stuff takes up. Um, just interesting that people go crazy for free. It also doesn't have to mean that's, that it's bad 100% of the time when you are the product. I think of nightclubs. When they let all the pretty girls in for free, and that sounds like it's such a great deal for the women because they get to go into the party for free and drink for free, it might be a good deal for them. Just be aware that they're not doing that because they're being kind to you. They're doing that because they're now selling your presence to the guy getting bottles and maybe it's a symbiotic relationship it doesn't have to be harmful that you're the product but if it's free you are the product that's all so that's why instagram is collecting your data and selling to advertisers and i don't know what saymine.com does with all the data they collect from you but it just set off that same little like woo. and i was just interesting because the person that sent it to me is quite smart but got extremely excited about it and so it made me realize that most people don't have that alarm system set up to, mm-hmm. to be wary whenever anything is free. Yep. Is that all that you had brought with us? To well, us? there's the hashtag. I don't really want to talk about it, but you thought it was really funny just when we minute. brought about it off air. So there's a hashtag going around about taxes. Hashtag it's our money Yeah. for people demanding more stimulus checks, I think yeah. it was, or just some some form of we want more money sent our way because it's, it's it was our money to begin with. Yeah. I thought that's a funny hashtag because it kind of <laughs> assumes that they just a force you haven't account. benefited <laughs> at all from 
the roads and the police and the fire departments and the public education. And say, the, so you you can make a case for more stimulus, but I would not do it this way because if it's our money, then all of the rich people's money well, is this also was, their money. This like, was the other thing. I, it's don't, our don't money. Don't take the straightest road to your... If, if you think that there's value to stimulus checks, make that argument. Do it this way and you're going to have a lot more withdrawals from this forced savings account. Like it's, it's No, that was the other thing I thought, I thought was interesting because most of the tax revenue comes from the wealthy and from businesses. If, if it's our money were actually implemented, it would not be good for the people using those hashtag. hashtags. Yeah. Yes. So let's, that was my takeaway too. <laughs> that's not like you so don't want this back off. This principle is, is the best way. My guess is, and you might not like how it was spent, but my guess is that for most people in America, you have been given more money from the government than you have sent to the government in taxes. If you were to chart, you know, this person gave none, this person gave uh, the most millions of dollars. Yeah, 50% of the people, or actually, no, like probably 70, 80% of the people fall in their amount where they are under the mean amount of money. That's what I'm saying. Sent. So you might not like you might not like the fact that it was spent on a military that's job is to protect yeah, you. Yeah, and, and it, might not, have, it might not have helped you in any tangible Iraq. way. Yeah, yeah. Which is totally, and that's a legitimate complaint that i have as well yes but i'm just saying most most people you are not actually the government and you are not in a deficit in the sense that you have given more than you have received mm -hmm. compared to every other person in the population so it's actually it's our money give it back is a much worse argument to me than stop going stop to war spend, spend, <laughs> yeah. spend the money here. yeah spend yeah. the money spend the money in these ways that benefit the populace yeah that you, there could be an argument for worse hashtag though <laughs> it is yeah yeah, that that was all. Just the idea that that somehow taxes were some sort of forced savings account that that you could demand back when you needed it is uh it's just not a principle that you want applied across the board because then people richer than you will do the same thing yes. and then you will lose more than they Correct. will lose. Correct. So yeah, that There's, was all. Speaking of forced savings accounts, funny. this is actually a thing I wrote down way long ago to bring up if we ever we're short on topics, but Bill Ackman has a UBI proposed solution for wealth inequality which is geared towards retirement instead of towards your you know so ubi is every year you just get a certain amount of money from the government his proposal for ubi is the government creates an investment account for every child born and then invests it into a zero cost equity fund such that when they turn 65 they have one million dollars mm -hmm. and uh that's his version of ubi which i was like i don't know if this is good or bad but it's something i've so never heard anyone of talk about you over the course of your life they invest, invest on your for you. behalf mm -hmm. with tax revenue so yeah essentially what they're doing is they're taxing you and saying you have to invest this and you'll get it back but no matter how much money you make over the course of your life or what you do at 65 you have a million dollars uh assuming that we invest it well and that the economy continues to do what it's done for 80 years and but not what japan's has done you know like yeah <laughs> I mean, it's it's the philosophy behind it is interesting, which is which is to say, and sometimes it's true, is that uh, we know what to do with your money on your explicit behalf better than you. Now, there are some taxes that say, look, this isn't about what you do. It's about the fact that there's collective goals that require like we need streetlights and no individual needs a streetlight. We need one every 60 feet and they cost two thousand dollars and we all need to put a little bit of money in to get them. That's a collective thing. This is like, no, for you personally, you don't best know how to take care well, of that's yourself. Well, that actually is his argument, which is to say- Which you, is the an amount interesting of, The argument. amount of money this would yeah. take is very little, in his opinion. 
it's oh, no, uh, if you started spending from day one yeah and and what he's saying is if we give this person if you just look at consumer behavior people don't spend money in ways that he thinks are rationally intelligent yeah and they waste it and so if you his argument is if you give people ubi they're going to spend it on stupid stuff and people argue this now uh, with with all sorts of things and he, his solution isn't don't do UBI because that's the counter argument to UBI is people will waste it. He's saying do UBI and force investment and force investment. And then everybody will just be taken care of when they can no longer work. And then people won't have to worry about saving for retirement so they can spend even more of their money stupidly. So they'll, they just have to support themselves till 65 basically through yeah. his thing. And they can make all the dumb decisions that they're making because we're not going to be able to change their behavior, but we'll just have them taken care of so that the fact that they didn't save anything won't hurt them. Interesting. I mean, I I am zero percent an expert on this. The thing that makes sense to me from a governmental perspective, and even if you like take apart government, people inevitably recoalesce and form uh, groups of people, and then ask for dues, and then spend money on collective things like fraternities. You know, mm-hmm. we won't have fraternity party. Everybody pay your dues. They just people. Even if you destroy governments, reform them in order to, for for collective goals to be achieved. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting idea. And I, and I guess we do it in some ways with Social Security, right? Where they force you to pay into it. Mm-hmm. I guess my sense is like, if it works, you know, um, I do think that there's always going to be this tension between freedom and uh, the majority doing well. And in a purely, ultimately free society, the majority will not do great, which I guess it's, I, and I don't, I'm not strong on this. Yeah, I could see the role of the government to be like, we're going to curtail your freedom for you specifically to make you make wise decisions because you aren't going to do it on average. Some of you might enough. It's just in, it's just an interesting uh, value prop of a government, which is like we're smarter than you, <laughs> uh, and we have your best interest at heart. Which of course you can't always trust because then what if they poorly manage that? What if they what if somebody, some bureaucrat decides that he wants to borrow against it or, you know what I mean? Like the, there's all other sorts of um, ways that that could go wrong if they don't actually have your best interest in mind. So I don't know. Interesting idea though. Yeah. It also assumes that you make good uh, good decisions at 65 because the, <laughs> the whole premise is like- <laughs> That you, you could take a 65, that you, you don't, a million dollar dump one day. Yeah. Because <laughs> the whole premise is that you're going to make bad decisions in your teens, 20s and, and 30s. All, yeah. So in your teens, twenties, and thirties, you're going to waste your money. That's interesting. But, and and so you're going to not have savings. And then at sixty five, you're a drain on society because you can't support. And then a million dollars is going to take you to the end of your days, which it won't. Well, the other thing though is is, is that people will not just go spend that million dollars immediately, uh, or plan on it, be or out take of it, a, or take debt out, be out of it at sixty six, take debt out at age fifty, knowing that they have a big payday coming at age sixty five, which of course would become the norm. Yeah, and this is, I think this is the argument against shielding people from responsibility is they just learned that that's how the world works, mm-hmm. is that someone else takes care of things. Yeah, that's, I guess that's the uh, Jordan Peterson Republican, you got to take responsibility argument, even if it sucks. Interesting. No, I think that's a really good argument against it, which is why would these people who have been sheltered from bad decisions all of a sudden with a million dollar payday at age 65 not borrow against that beforehand or not blow it all or, you know, like now they're going to now they're going to ration that money over the next 25 years. You didn't think they could do it in previously, but now all of a sudden now they have this brilliant financial acumen Now what are they going to do? Invest it. 
they haven't had to invest. <laughs> You've <laughs> taken that away from them. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess the big thing is, even I was thinking of my grandpa and we talked about the fourth turning. It's like, unfortunately, it seems like, how are you raised? Like, what was the circumstances in which you were raised? Did you have to save money back then? Cool. You'll be fine for the rest of your life. Saving's going to be second nature to a degree that it cripples you. Like, was money fast and easy back then? Good. You're going to be screwed in terms of, you're just going to blow it, blow it, blow it yeah. forever. Uh, unless well, there's a massive shock at some point in your life that really reorients you. Fast and easy doesn't even have to mean a lot though. Like there's people who have terrible savings habits and it's not because they grew up with a lot of money. It's just because they grew up around the flow. People, yeah. Not with a flow. Just when, I guess when it, with a flow, when it came in, it was just spent yeah. on something potentially stupid mm-hmm. and, and then gone into a consumer good, you know, into a wearable and, uh, it doesn't require you to have grown up with a lot of money just to have grown up with that sense that whatever you make should be spent immediately. Mm-hmm. And then that's all it takes to just give you bad economic habits for your entire life. Yeah. I'm not convinced, but the, the handful of the things that we talked about today, and I was watching videos about China and kids and Joe Biden's plan and seniors, and he's trying to do a new preschool thing, which may or may not work. I don't know if it's schools or homes or whatever, but it it really does seem like the best investment you can make is to like love and support children <laughs> and give them the best habits that you know how from good role models who genuinely care about them. Uh, and that that pays you back over the course of the rest of their life as a society, and if you're, you know, their parents, hopefully. Uh, so I don't, I don't know how the government's supposed to do that, or even if the government should be involved in doing that, or whether what sorts of incentives it needs to set up. But yeah, children are the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's. I mean, it's you're just going to end up in circles thinking about this too much, but. What do you do when someone doesn't know the answers themselves? So you have someone who knows nothing about nutrition and they have a kid yeah, they, and then they give that kid terrible nutritional habits because yeah, yeah. they don't realize that ice cream and Sprite is bad Yeah, and they just want their kid to be happy. So that kid eats nothing but ice cream and Sprite till they're 10 because <laughs> they're very loved and then has the worst nutritional base you could possibly have. Yeah. Well, this is, this is the problem of government is that, you know, for a while I, and I think a lot, some, I don't want to mischaracterize all libertarians, but the idea is like, look, you just do you and I'll just do me and we'll have the minimal government possible. Well, here's the problem is if you live next door to me and you behave in, I don't know, even the way that your diet is horrible and everyone around you has a horrible diet and you start dying off in droves in the society, like we depend on one another. We can't actually totally separate from one another, which is why we try to set up these government where we have rules and regulations by which we all need to behave because we all, as much as we would like to say that we're not, are dependent mm-hmm. upon one another. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What do you do? Then then you have these school programs where they give you the food pyramid, but the food pyramid's upside down, and they got <laughs> they got all the carbs on the bottom. So I don't know, man. This is what we can do, end with this. I went last last uh, psilocybin experience I had, I, was, I had a moment where I thought about politics and the, the clarity that I had was like, no one knows what the fuck they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like these are giant systems taking place over millions and billions of people's lifetimes that are boiled down into textbooks and case studies with, which nobody has a real, and by depth of understanding, I mean like understand all the factors contributing to it, yet we have strongly held beliefs and opinions. Uh, and I guess there's some answers that might be better than others, but nobody ultimately gets it at a, at a deep level. Otherwise, we'd be in a better spot. <laughs> Anything else that you had? Let's go to questions. Cool. We do questions. 
Sick. First one is, not that I personally feel this way, but do you think evolutionarily that the reason why the women didn't go to war is because if one man survived, he could repopulate his whole country or tribe, versus if all the women went out and died and one came back, they could only reproduce one person for the tribe? Do I think that? I don't know. I think one of the problems with evolutionary psychology is that you, a lot of different stories can be told to explain things. It's kind of like the Aesop's fables, like how did the tortoise get its shell? And there's this long story that totally plausible, but obviously isn't, <laughs> isn't the case. It's like he kept get hitting on the head and that was why he did it, you know, whatever. Uh, is that plausible? Sure. I think also, um, I mean, I'll just take a step back. The difference between men and women at the most basic level, is that men, ha men have tons of fast, cheap gametes, sperm, and women have slow, basically immobile, expensive ones. And that all of the musculature that we have developed and all of the social structures that have developed around that are for high-risk, powerful men and more secure women. And it's because literally their eggs are just more expensive. So we throw out, yeah, I guess, I think this... This does sort of track our cheap sperm because one guy can just come back and do it. Also, they have the musculature, which supports that, so they would be better in war than women. Sounds plausible. Yeah, my answer is maybe, but I want to actually just circle back to what you said. I've, I've seen a lot of people lean really hard on evolutionary psychology, mm -hmm. and it is speculative at best, mm -hmm. and it sounds nice, but it's not necessarily a reliable description of anything mm -hmm. and sometimes i'm sure it's right and sometimes i'm sure it's wrong so i'm just generally i think i think evolutionary psychology is interesting but i wouldn't necessarily make any life decisions based on what someone told me about evolutionary psychology mm -hmm. it is i guess if you take away all the other things and you assume that which i think is true that all of the the height differences and the muscular differences originated from differences in gametes and that those were strategies that separated them. You just stop thinking about people and start thinking about gametes. That story, though, does sound plausible. It's just like you get one of these new babies every nine months or one year at max. I get a million every time. <laughs> you know, so it seems which of these do, would we want to be riskier with? We'll be riskier with the cheap ones than with the expensive ones. Sure, but I'm going to say something that's totally not true, but you could imagine <laughs> someone saying, well, evolutionarily, because of the gametes, Men have higher testosterone, and men, because of higher testosterone, men are more aggressive. And so when it comes to wars, they actually used to ask for volunteers, and the men would volunteer because they loved violence because of their testosterone, because evolutionarily, they're designed for, for violence. I think, like, well, that, that also is kind of the same story that I told, which is like the testosterone is a byproduct of cheap. Sure, sure. But I'm just, so I'm saying we know, we know historically that men would go to war and win more, and then the reason why is we could just guess at basically yeah. yes no your point is is well taken is that if you know what happens and you know a couple of things to draw a line between them you can draw that several different ways and you always get to the same conclusion yeah, which yeah. is that we historically sent men to war so yes. it's like you know the answer already yeah no good science <laughs> involves a prediction of an unknown is what you yes. know what i mean it, sh it should predict something uh and that's the test of if a theory is well-founded or not not that it can explain past events because you know you can explain the theory of gravity with uh, invisible angels pulling you back to earth because you're not yet ready to go to heaven. And that explains it perfectly. And they always move at the same speed, independent of, uh, or it's, what is it? Is it independent of mass? 
No, it's related to mass. I don't know. I think things fall at the same speed minus wind resistance. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's been a long time since 11th grade. Um, next question. Next is, do you guys have any tips to stop staring at breasts while talking to women? Uh, <laughs> it's not exclusively with breasts, although they are my crux. It can be with anything I'm not supposed to stare at. For example, a big mole, an amputation, etc. I've tried staring at um, at people's foreheads to simulate eye contact, um, but people tend to notice or get uncomfortable after a while. I just want to make people comfortable around me. Also, any tips on how to salvage an interaction after they realize you've stared at something you're not supposed to stare at? Oh, man. You want to chime in? Don't. Yeah. I, I don't have really useful advice for this. I'll try to. I am the expert at not. <laughs> there was one. I, I, ben and I have saw this question before. But um, there was one girl that I briefly dated in Brazil. And she was very attractive. And we, we saw her on the beach in a bathing suit. And everyone saw her. Uh, and, you know, I went over, threw the football, started playing. She and I had a brief period of dating. And one of the things that she told me was, the reason that I liked you is because you didn't check me out on the beach, which I laughed at. <laughs> because <laughs> I definitely did. So I suppose <laughs> the answer is, uh, yeah, when you're talking to someone, look them in the eye. Like, you look them in the eye and be committed to that uh, it's, it's a funny question. <laughs> I don't know. Like, just don't, just don't do the other thing. It's like when someone puts their wallet out on the table, and I want to take it because <laughs> they went to the bathroom. How do I not take? Well, it's. It? I think the problem is that this is a momentary lapse. You know, it can be a, it can be a, a quick glance. Well, um, yeah, you're allowed momentary lapses. I don't think anyone's. I mean, it sounds like the don't problem stare. is staring. Is staring is in your is is more in your conscious control. Yeah. I think if you ask most women who are well endowed with breasts, they'll tell you that momentary glances happen all the time. Yeah. I think the uncomfortable thing that occurs is people lock eyes with their titties and then don't break eye contact. And that's when it becomes very uncomfortable. Yeah. So don't I do imagine it. based on this question, it's not over the course of a 10 minute conversation. I got caught glancing for one second. I think it's, I have a staring problem. So what do you do when you have a staring problem? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not something I've ever had to overcome. Uh, I, mean, I guess I did when I was much younger, but the answer was like, just don't look down. Willpower. Just don't look down. <laughs> uh, I didn't have anything beyond that. It was just. No exercises for this person where he pulls out a nudie mag, but then lays it on the table. You know what? There were exercises. With I'll tell you else. what. We had exercises, whether I realized it or not. Um, and it wasn't the same exercise. When we, would, when we were going out and we were going out more to bars and clubs, there would often be just people, like not even uh, – parts of their body, but like attractive women that you wanted to look at. And Ben and I got very used to training our gaze. Mm -hmm. And so when we went into a bar, like there'd be someone you'd see and they were pretty and they were having fun over here. But rather than both of us like look over there and be like, oh, we want to be included. We trained ourselves to be like, I'm talking to you and you're talking to me. And the most fun part of this bar is the space in between our noses. Mm -hmm. And we are not taking our eyes off of this. Yeah. For well, I think that's, people <laughs> might laugh at this question, but actually you raise a good point, which is people do this all the time and screw themselves up all the yeah. time in other areas. Because if you're standing at a bar with a friend and you guys are both shoulder to shoulder staring at a pack of women and you're not looking at each makes other. makes it sound like they're a roving. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Well, that's what you're treating it like. You're treating it like you're a hunter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's uh. That makes you look terrible and it makes you look disinterested in your friend and it makes you look uninteresting. And uh, so it's, yeah, I think people listen to this being like, oh yeah, obviously you don't stare at breasts. It's like, well, you're probably doing this in other ways that you don't realize when you stare at anyone that you 
want to talk to but aren't talking to. That's it. Uh, okay, so that's the best answer I can give you is that I actually didn't train not looking at things. I trained looking at things while there were distractions. So one of them would be Ben. Another one was for a period of time. I was like, I'm not never going to break eye contact, not because this person has a body that I want to see, but because I might be nervous or whatever. So I was like, okay. And I, and I trained myself to be able to focus on a particular thing. And then I just shifted that to, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm just going to look this person in the eyes. Funny, apparently humans aren't good at not doing things. So anytime you have a habit you want to break, you're supposed to replace it with another habit. So you can't, if you tell your brain, don't stare at this thing. Yeah. That's not very useful. But if you tell your brain, stare at Charlie's eyes. Yeah. That's an instruction that your brain can follow. So we, we, we came to a useful answer in the Here end. Here we go. We, we took got us our way there. <laughs> Uh, this guy's going to write in and speak. Like, that was completely unhelpful. I'm still have the exact same problem. Uh, last one I have is I've been struggling with low motivation and energy and energy as well as extreme insomnia. Uh, my psychiatrist recommended anti-psychotic medication, but I also feel like these things are just putting a plaster on my issues. I'd rather try and find and solve the root of why I am the way I am. Um, I've been looking into the potential of psychedelic therapy to help me with that, but I don't know much about it. Uh, what kinds of psychedelic therapies do you think might help with my situation in particular? Got it. Uh, I would start by saying it's pretty solid to listen to your mental health advisor. I'm literally doing a video on Pete Davidson right now, and he swears by his medication. So it's not that ever using medication for any period of time is bad. Mm -hmm. Maybe once you've been on it for a while and you feel like it's the right time, you can work with somebody to get off of it. But yeah, if you're if you're in a bad way with your mental health and you're working with a therapist and the therapist has recommended that you go on something, please don't ignore that person because of a podcast would yeah. be my first piece of advice. Mm -hmm. And what, what I would say, what might be nice is an expert that is knows of the wider variety of options and might prescribe SSRIs and might prescribe something else. I, I just... Ben, ben raises a good point. The counter that is that not a lot, these people are not often uh, exposed to the value of psychedelics. So that's not even uh, an option that they could choose from when trying sure. to treat. I'm just, I'm just literally watching videos of Pete Davidson talking about how his sure. medication has changed his life and made it so much better. And he didn't know he had uh, borderline personality disorder. So he was a wreck and suicidal and all this stuff. Yeah. Getting the diagnosis and then getting the medications helps transformative for him. So what was this person's particular diagnosis? Um, that they have low motivation all the time and are an insomniac. Hmm. Uh, you know me, I always want to give psychedelics uh, a go. But what I would say is for low motivation, Personal Power 2 by Tony Robbins, I know that this is not, you know, not it's, it's close to the core. It's definitely not the core, but it's really good for motivation and goal setting. If you find that that doesn't stick, um, it's the best program that I know that is non-therapeutic in nature. If you're in a major city, also try to find... Like if you're going to go, because we're going into psychedelics without having necessarily like massive amounts of mental health issues. But if you want a mental health professional <clears throat> and you want psychedelics, you could go to a university and try to see if they're doing any trials. You could sign there's up, also, go to mind MAPS. Med, there's, there's, what's, what's Dylan's called? Mind Bloom. Mind Bloom. There's so you Mind go to, Med. Yeah. So Mindbloom does ketamine. It's telemedicine. You work with a uh, licensed therapists and psychologists, I think. Um, but the other thing is you go to MAPS and see if they're doing clinical trials. You know, Because mm -hmm. they are running experiments right now where people are getting psilocybin or MDMA or things yeah. like that under the watch of doctors. 
but you just have to be doing it in a trial. Yeah. So there, some, there are ways you can do this above board. Yeah. Um, but for you, I would say, again, the more, the more, uh, what are the contraindications, which is basically things that could go wrong, the more gentle you want to go or even say no. But so I wouldn't advise like ayahuasca or to start or anything like that, but MDMA, microdosing psilocybin, uh, I don't want you to treat me like the commercial on the TV that says, ask your doctor for, <laughs> because I think it's best to speak to someone with a, a breadth of knowledge, tell them what's going on, and then have them suggest a course that is customized to your situation. But those would be ones that uh, are gentle and, and come to mind if you do go the psychedelic. MBMA is not even a psychedelic. So yeah, that's what I would think about. I was also just thinking um, to our previous question. I realized I've trained myself not to look at a lot of things. There's guys that drive past in fancy sports cars, and I will not look because <laughs> I've trained myself to be like, no, I'm not going to give it to you, bro. Not going to validate the person. I see you nodding over. <laughs> Do you do that too, Justin? Same with motorcycles. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh, the loud, oh, the loud dude who drives by in the, hydro the hydraulics on Second uh, Street. I will walk right past. I look. Everyone else might give you what you want, but if I could sign us all up to just ignore you, I fucking would. Um, God, all those cards would go away so fast yeah. if I could just if I could send that that message out to the world. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I I often train not looking at things that might grab your eye. Same thing when you're driving. You try not to rubberneck. But next question. That's all I had. Patreon patrons. All right, guys, it's a shorter one. If you want to hop over to Patreon, we will keep going though. I think we have how many questions today? Uh, too many for one day. Too many for a day. So oh, it's wow. gonna be it's gonna be. Uh, a long one, and they, they generally are. So if you want to check that out, any patron level gets you access. We do it every week, and it keeps the podcast going. So hope you guys enjoy this, and we'll see the rest of you over on Patreon later. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.